Hi, this is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. When I was in grade 12, I had a unique opportunity to come my way. It was the chance to play on our high school senior boys hockey team, the Eagles. My hopes of playing on this team were cut short, however, because all of the AA and AAA rep players decided to quit rep hockey so they could play high school and dominate. This meant I wouldn't have a spot on the team because I only played house league and they were all much better than I was. But then, another opportunity arose. Play as the team's backup goalie. You see, the team only had one and we needed two. And I had never been a goalie before. But I thought, hmm, I could make the team. So I borrowed some gear, I bought some gear, and I made the team out of necessity and not skill. <laughs> and our team did very well. We won the Halton Regional Championships. Uh, we finished second in all the Golden Horseshoe Athletic Conference. We were one game away from going to OFSA. Um, we had a lot of success, no thanks to me. And even though we had success, occasionally I felt like I wasn't really part of the team. That I wasn't a legitimate eagle. Even though I had a jersey, even though I sat on the bench and went to the practices and was at the games. Now these feelings were made clear one day at school, walking through the halls, and I find out that the team had had a wrap-up party the night before, but didn't tell me about it. Oh, something. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I was hurt. It, it, it hurt a lot. Um, and even though some of the guys apologized, it just seemed to confirm my feelings of illegitimacy. I wasn't really part of the team. And what we have in the book of Galatians is something kind of similar going on. And we've been looking through this book for quite a while now. We're going through and we're seeing that there were these Gentile believers, non-Jews, right? They've placed their faith in Jesus. They've heard the gospel message. Everything seemed to be going well. They were on the team. That's what they thought. Except that some Jewish professing Christians, these false brothers, these Judaizers as they're called, they come to town and they're saying, hmm, actually, you guys aren't legit children of God. There's more you've got to do. They claimed to be the legitimate children of God. And so they added to the gospel teaching. They added things that was both, uh, were both legalistic and elitist. And they said, in order for you guys to really be Abraham's kids, to be inheritors of God, uh, you've got to do this and this. In order to feel like you're part of the team, you need to adopt these Jewish Old Testament laws, these practices found in the Law of Moses, especially circumcision. In our passage today, we're going to see once again Paul's going to contrast the life of faith versus the life of works. And he's going to reference Abraham. He's going to reference the law. He's going to explain the true purpose of the law. And then he's going to explain that the promise, the blessing to Abraham is actually for everybody who has faith. And that anyone, anyone, can be a legitimate son of God solely through faith in Christ. 
And then we're going to see that there are these promises, these promises of blessing. There's multiple promises of blessing and that these promises are for every believer in Jesus Christ. We're going to see that. So, if you have your Bibles, open to Galatians 3, verse 15 to 29. It's, it's a big passage. We're going for it. Galatians three fifteen. It says this, To give a human example, brothers... Even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Uh, let's pray and ask God's help as we digest this big, lengthy passage here. Father, we do thank you for the chance that we have to come this morning and, and to hear your word. I pray that you would help us to not just hear it, but to understand it and then to apply it, to live it out. I pray that Jesus, you would be honored and glorified as we do that, as we wrestle through what this passage means and why it matters for us today. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen. So, because it's big, let's just dive right in here. Uh, Verses 15 to 18. I'm just going to kind of give some summary statements here. Paul is just really trying to make things clear for this church. He's trying to just hammer it home all the way through the book that salvation is by grace through faith in Christ. And so he uses this everyday man-made example uh, like a man-made covenant or, or a will. And so he says, a will is binding once it happens, right? once it begins to be in action. Uh, another person can't come along and change a will once it's been ratified, once it's begun to take motion. So what he's saying here is that the covenant that God made with Israel, right, the law of Moses, Mount Sinai, that can't come along later and change the promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis 12, 3, that he would bless all nations through him. That can't come and alter that. 
So Paul's point is that God's promise to Abraham is permanent. And that promise finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. That he is the offspring of Abraham who brings blessing to the whole world. And you might say, how how does he bring blessing to the whole world? By offering himself in our place on the cross, granting forgiveness, new life, and adoption into God's family by faith alone to anyone who believes. That's how he brings that blessing. And as we heard so clearly last week, this idea of how can we be justified, how can we be declared righteous, how can we be made right with God, the only way to be justified by keeping the law is complete and utter perfection. Not one single slip-up in any area in life, from birth to death, in thought, word, or deed. No one can and no one has ever met that requirement. And so sometimes it's, it's kind of depressing when you realize that your very best efforts are never going to be even close to God's demands. But that's the point. Two words. But God. Okay? There's a good phrase to remember. But God. By God's grace, He sent His Son to live the perfect life for us, to die in our place, to pay our penalty, and to resurrect in glorious victory so then, by faith in Christ, we can be justified. That's how that works. But God. And so then the argument then that we might have in our head right now, or the Jews might have had, said, well then, what about the law then? What, what, what's the point of the law? Does that mean that the law is somehow bad? If we can't possibly be justified by the law? Like, is it anti-God if we can't be right with God by keeping it? No. No. The law isn't bad at all. In fact, I mean, if you're writing anything down this morning, you can write this down. The law is good. You can just write that down. The law is good. So the Old Testament law was given by God through angels to Moses for the people of Israel. It's from God, so it's good. Paul says elsewhere in Romans that the law is good, that it's pure and it's holy, and it is. But what Paul's saying here is that the law cannot save. The law cannot give life, and it was always meant to be temporary. Then you might say, well, then how is it good? It's good because it shows us, the law shows us all. When I say all, I mean all. Whether you're the uh, really wicked, evil, immoral person, whether you're I'm the pretty good ethical person, or you're the deeply devoted religious person, or anywhere in between, all, the the law shows all have sinned, and all need a Savior. That's how it's good. You see, the law is good. It's like a good mirror. You you walk into, you see a mirror, right? And you see yourself for who you really are. And the law shows us who we really are, that we're sinful, that we're broken, that we're needy, that we're rebellious, and that we're dirty, and that we're in great need of cleansing. We've got a whole lot going on right here. But the thing is, you can't cleanse yourself with a mirror. A mirror was never designed to clean you. A mirror was simply designed to show a clear picture, a clear reflection of ourselves. And so as we peer into the mirror of God's law, we clearly see God's holiness and our filthiness. 
And so what Paul's saying in verses 19 to 20 in a nutshell is that this law, this covenant, this agreement with Israel was never meant to replace that promise of grace given to Abraham. And it was never intended to last forever. It says in verse 19, until the offspring should come. Jesus is that offspring. And when he came, he made a new covenant through his blood, which was prophesied centuries earlier, which according to the book of Hebrews, chapter 8, specifically verse 13, it says it makes the first covenant obsolete. Obsolete. Hebrews 8, 13. Makes the first one obsolete. Does anybody have a cell phone? Anybody have a cell phone? Who has a cell phone? Anybody? Hands. Come on. Anybody got it with them? Show it. All right. Hopefully you're all looking at the Bible with it, right? So how many of you, when you got your phone, you went to the store and you said, all right, I want the cell phone. Like the original cell phone. The one from the 80s. The big one. The gray one with the antenna that's the size of my head. I want that one. That's the true cell phone. That's the only cell phone. How many of you went into the store and did that? No, none of you did that, I'm pretty sure. Why? Why? Because there are newer phones. There are better phones, better battery life, reception, apps, and all these things that they can do. They're smaller, they're slick, whatever, and they break easier. But they're better. So why would you choose that phone and be stuck in the past? And so in the same way, Paul's getting on the Galatians. He's like, what are you guys doing? You're having this desire to go in this weird way to choose a system, to choose a covenant that's actually obsolete. Not bad. Right? The original cell phone isn't bad, it's just obsolete. So he's saying, guys, there's a much better way. It's a way of promise. It's a way of grace. It's a way of receiving righteousness, not on your own works, and the way is Jesus. It's the way of grace and it is by faith. So in making this case, Paul doesn't just, he doesn't throw out the law. He reaffirms that it's good, but then he says, that the promise, though, the promise is better. If you're writing things down, you can write that down. The promise is better. The promise is better. The promise given to Abraham, fulfilled in Christ, is better because it's not based on our performance. It's a blessing of grace that God would make a way for us to be forgiven, to be saved, to be justified by faith alone. In Christ's performance. That's how the promise is better. It's not about our performance. It's about Christ's performance. And he says this promise is better because it came directly from God. God spoke to Abraham directly and declared this promise is going to happen. In contrast to God giving the law, it says, by angels to Moses for Israel. So Israel kind of gets their, their law second or third hand. And the law had conditional blessings and curses based on Israel's ability to keep it. Based on their faithfulness to the law, they'd be blessed or they'd be cursed. Contrast to that, God's promise to Abraham is unconditional. He says, this is going to happen. It is by grace. I'm going to do this. I'm going to bless the whole world by sending my son. It's going to happen, Abraham. And so that's why the promise is better than the law. And what's really exciting is that in this promise to bless the whole world, all nations, through Abraham, by Christ, 
there's actually several other promises contained. And verses 23 to 29 is is the climax of this passage. And we're going to dive into this part really carefully. And he's going to explain these promises. And these promises in these verses are for every genuine believer in Jesus Christ. These promises are permanent and these promises don't depend on your performance. These promises are for every believer in Jesus. So if you believe in Jesus, these promises are for you. Promises are for me. Promises are for kids, for grandkids, families. These promises are for the church. Do you want to know what these promises are? Yes. You want, you, want to, you want me to tell you what the promises are? Well, let's look at verses 23 and 29. We're going to see these promises. The first one that we have listed here is the promise of a new freedom. Look at 23 to 25. A new freedom. It says, Before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under that guardian. So, saying before Christ, we were held captive, like chained prisoners under the burden of trying to perform, trying to earn our way. It says the law is our our guardian teaching us, reminding us that we're not good enough, that we can never be good enough, taking us to the very end of our rope and showing us our failures. Verse 25 though. But now Christ has come and we are justified by faith in Him and He sets us free from that hopelessness. For now my hope is built on Him, on His blood and on His righteousness and not my own. And so so Christians now, we don't relate to the law in the same way way because we have the Holy Spirit within us. Again, this doesn't mean we toss away the law. It doesn't mean we toss away the Old Testament. It doesn't mean that we stop obeying the Ten Commandments or something like that. What it means is that we no longer rest on our ability to perform according to the law for our standing with God. We rest on Jesus' perfect performance and we learn to live by the Holy Spirit who guides us into all truth and into holy living. So that's promise number one, a new freedom. Second promise, the promise of a new identity. Verse 26, he says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. You are all sons. Why sons and not children? Is Paul sexist? Is Paul discriminating here? What's going on here? Well, in that culture, it was only a legitimate son that could be a legal heir to inherit the father, the family property, the estate. Okay? That's just how it was in that culture. Only a son could do that. All right? So, what Paul is saying here, he is not saying that if you're a girl, that you're a woman, that you don't matter. Actually, he's flipping it. On the contrary, he's saying, You girls, you women, are also sons. That means you are also legitimate heirs of God. Ah. Okay. He says this is more than forgiveness of sins, which is massive enough. This is full adoption into God's family through faith. And so this would have been huge, 
huge for the Galatians to hear and grasp. And it's big enough for us to grasp. Wow, really? But for the Galatians to grasp. If you have faith in Christ, your identity now is not primarily found in your job, in your past, in your nationality, right? in your sports, in your intelligence, in your friends, in your school, in your failures, in your successes, in your clothes, in your money, or your favorite sports team. Your identity primarily now is that you have become a son of God through faith in Christ. That's who you are. A new identity. A legal heir of God. Nice. That's a good promise. And then he says there's another promise. The promise of a new relationship. Verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Okay, why... What's going on here? Why does Paul link baptism so closely here with saving faith? I thought the whole point of up to this part of the book was that works don't save you. It's just faith. Why does he throw baptism in there? We know that you're not saved by baptism. So, here's why he does it. Most people in that time would get baptized as soon as possible after professing faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, so in some ways, the idea of an unbaptized Christian would have been a, a very foreign concept for the New Testament church. Like, what, what do you mean? What do you mean you're not baptized? And a lot of them would be like, well, you must not really believe then. If you're, like, that's just how it was. Right? And so, baptism is the outward symbol of being united with Christ, which would start this new relationship. This new relationship with God. And next Sunday, baptisms... People are going to come and we're going to hear stories about how Jesus has changed their life, about how they're saying, you know what? My allegiance is to Jesus now. I am in this new relationship. And we all get to cheer them on and we all get to help them. It's going to be great. So bring your friends and a camera. <laughs> but he says, those who have put on Christ. So clothing language is being used here. This is the idea of taking off, removing the old garment the old life, putting on a new garment, a new life, and a new purpose through being united to Christ. So he's saying, when we place our faith in Jesus, again, we don't simply receive forgiveness of sins, but we begin this relationship with the God of the universe as we follow Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. Which Again, as we heard a little while ago, if we really stop and think about the fact that the Spirit of God lives within us, should maybe give us goosebumps more often than it does. <coughs> you see, the, 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 the false brothers, the Judaizers here, they were all about uh, external, outward signs of blessing, right? This is one of the reasons why they pushed circumcision so much. And Paul says, no, 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 no. We're justified by faith, not outward things of obedience to the law. But he says, if you're going to find an outward thing, baptism, baptism, not circumcision now, is to be the outward mark of a Christian, identifying with the death and resurrection of Christ. The old life's gone. The new life has begun with Jesus. So that's the promise of a new relationship. And then he says, you have another promise of a new standing. Verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Again, another massive statement given the context of the letter. You think about how the Greek, the Gentile believers would respond to hearing this. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
You mean it, it really doesn't matter if I'm Jewish or not? That I can actually be a son of God without being Jewish? That we're all one in Christ? That we're all actually heirs of God? This promise of blessing, this promise of salvation is really for everyone? It's really for me? That I'm truly legitimate? That I'm really on the team no matter what those other people say? That's exactly what Paul is saying. He's saying that in the Gospel, the distinction between Jew and Gentile is broken down. Ephesians 2, 11-12 also says the same thing. The dividing wall has been knocked down. So in Jerusalem, back in the day, at the temple, there was actually a wall, a court of the Gentiles. There's a wall separating the Gentiles. You can't go any farther into the temple. It's like the Jews saying, you can only get this close to God. We can go closer. He says, not anymore. If you have faith in Jesus, you've got this new standing. What is that standing? Regardless of who you have been, you're a justified son of God. That's the standing. That's it. And he's saying, again, not saying that once you become a Christian, you stop being a woman or you stop being a man or you stop being Canadian or Korean or German. That's not what he's saying. He's saying everybody is the same on the same level, regardless of right? status, regardless of nationality, your gender, your job, all those types of things. And since we're all one with God as his sons, Christians now, the same level, should belong to each other in such a way that these distinctions that formerly divide or continue to divide in society no longer divide within the church. They lose significance. So I'm still up here. I'm still a white male Canadian, but those distinctions don't matter in Christ like they do in the world. So that means practically, practically we're going to live out the promise of a new standing, then if we're all truly one in Christ, then racism must never exist in the church. It just can't. Why? Because through faith in Jesus, either you're justified or, or you're not. Like that, That's it. So you can't be like, well, I'm more justified than you. <laughs> Same. So it doesn't matter how much money you make or how, much, or how little money you make or what color your hair or skin is or what background you're from, what part of town you're from. If you wear Nike or Adidas, if you eat bacon or you don't. That doesn't matter. All that matters is, by grace, through faith in Christ, you are God's now. And you're part of the one body of Christ. So you can maybe ask yourself a little bit, how are we at living that out? This is where it falls to us a little bit, on our shoulders, our responsibility. With the Holy Spirit's help, of course, but to remember this as we interact with everybody here, but then also taking that out into the world. How do we interact with everybody? Understanding, okay, we actually are all equal, that we all are important, that we're all valued, that we're all needed. Now, we have different functions, different roles, and different parts to play. Like one body, many parts, right? But all needed. That's the promise of a new standing. Same playing field. Equal. The last promise that he says is you have a promise of a new future. Very exciting. Verse 29. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. This verse actually has striking similarities to 2 Corinthians 5, 17, 
which says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old is gone, the new has come. Okay? So he says, we're transformed by the gospel. And, and as we're transformed, we move from being a, a sinful rebel whose future was hell and was punishment and was eternal torment. It says that you move then actually now to being made new, to, be, to being Christ, to being Abraham's offspring, to being God's heirs whose future now was this new future. What's the new future? Eternal joy, eternal life in the presence of God forever. Promise of a new future. One question. Do those promises sound good? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Yeah, they're, they're okay. Do those promises sound good? Even if, even if you just got one of those promises, it'd be really sweet. You get all of those. I think they're pretty good. So, so then what do we do? Right? We have these promises. We need to cling on to the promises. Cling to the promises. Okay? With, with everything we've got, is cling to these promises. Actually, even better than that, cling to the promise giver. We cling, cling to Jesus. Jesus is the one who gives us strength to even cling on to the promises that he's made about us. Jesus is the one who reminds us right, that we are legitimate sons of God. And if Jesus has told you that you're his, you can't let anyone else tell you otherwise. Right? Because who's better than Jesus? If Jesus tells me something, then that's the way it is. Okay? So you don't let other people tell you that you're not a legitimate son of God if Jesus has confirmed that you are. Because there's going to be days when you're going to doubt. When we're going to doubt. There are, not even going to, there already have been. Anybody who's been a believer of Jesus for more than like a day <laughs> knows that you, it's a constant battle of doubt. I, I doubt. Pastor up here on stage, I doubt. I doubt. I don't feel like I'm a legit son of God sometimes. Maybe I doubt that I can even carry on anymore. Maybe I doubt that uh, I'm, I'm performing well enough to, to please God or, or something like that. These things come. These doubts come. And when those come, not if, when those come, that's when we remember the promises of God in Christ. You read these verses, especially 23 to 29, again and again and again and again. And then we let those doubts and we let those discouragements, those times of confusion and temptation lead us to Jesus. Lead us to the truth that, man, He really is all I've got. He really is my only hope. Lead us to the truth that Jesus gives us strength to carry on. Lead us to the truth that Jesus reminds us that we're legitimate sons of God. Lead us to the truth that He loves us, that He bought us, that He'll carry us till the end. He's my hope till the end through the storm. Good times and bad, blessed be your name. When it's good and when it's bad, He will carry us to the end. He will carry us to the end. He will fulfill these promises. 
Yeah, thank you, Jesus. That's right. Thank you, Jesus. Well, let, let's pray to Jesus and say thank you to Jesus together. Jesus, we, we say thank you. What else can we say up here? The things that you have done, the things that you have said, the things that you will do, these promises that we have, I pray that you would help us to understand these more. Help me to understand this more. And help us to live this out. That there, there truly is no um, dividing distinctions between us if we have faith in you. That we have these new promises. We have this new hope. That you are good. That you will carry us. That our hope is not based on our performance, our ability to obey, but our hope is built on you, on your blood, on your righteousness, on your perfection. So carry us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.